get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get them in. But right now, we are going to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend. I think we could call him a friend of the show at this point. He's Kevin Goldstein, national writer over at Fangraphs and the former assistant general manager with the Houston Astros. Kevin, we appreciate the time as always, man. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. How are you? Uh, doing very well. So let, let's start out with what our sports update just was from Tanner Hendrickson. There was the announcement yesterday uh, with the Hall of Fame. It's just David Ortiz this year. I, I think it was really a question of does Ortiz get in or does nobody get in? What were your thoughts, A, about Ortiz getting in and B, this being kind of the finality of all of those other steroid guys that are now going to be off of the ballot next year? I, I think it's an interesting dynamic in the sense that I I think, you know, this really felt like the first year where I think the, 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 the public baseball world and fandom started to revolt a bit and say, like, this isn't working in terms of the voting system. And and, and I agree with them. And, and you know, I, I, my solution is, is more than a little radical, but like I don't think we should have plaques in the Hall of Fame. I, I think the Hall of Fame should simply be a celebration and an and educational opportunity on the history of the game, both good and bad, of which there are plenty of both. And, uh, you know, the fact that you know, the Baseball Writers Association of America. And again, like, I, I, have a, I have a respected organization. I have a lot of friends in that organization. But I, I don't think they have the right to play kind of historical gatekeepers as, as to the history of this game. And, you know, the fact that Barry Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame when he was such a, 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 a incredible role in, in kind of my generation of baseball is, is really quite silly. And, you know, I think you put Barry Bonds in and then you put in all the bad in. I don't think Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame under the current rules, but with no plaques, you can have plenty of Pete Rose stuff and also note the fact that he was a bad person who gambled on baseball and got banned for life. And so the fact that we have this, this kind of plaque system and this voting system, and again, I think most of the voting is really good, but you know, David Ortiz in and Barry Bonds out doesn't really make a lot of sense, and it does feel at times like, well, the writers like David Ortiz, as they should. David Ortiz is a wonderful dude and, and deserves to be you know, recognized under the current system, but so does Barry Bonds, even though he wasn't a great dude. And, and it's a shame because I think a few people are really kind of ruining it for the rest of them, if you think about it. You know, David Ortiz got about 10% more in terms of votes than, than Barry Bonds. And so I, I do think that it's fair to say that, that 90% of the writers are, are taking this, this, this process seriously and, and submitting thoughtful ballots and, and the other 10% are kind of ruining it for the rest of us. And the one thing here in St. Louis, that's the hot topic. Of course, Kevin is Scott Rowland not getting in, but trending in the right direction. Do you feel like this is going to help his eligibility and others on the hall of fame ballot that might not be getting votes because those votes are going towards bonds and Clemens? I mean, I think so. I think if you look historically at, at kind of like where Roland is in terms of percentage and how many years he has left and all that stuff, you see certainly seems to be on pace for 
and eventually being in the Hall of Fame. But I think that's silly too. As long as we're here, like, if you're, are you a Hall of Famer or are you not? Why yep. is that? Thank you. Yes. Like, it's just, is he a Hall of Famer? Vote yes. Like, don't go, well, he's up to 40. Maybe I'll vote for him now. That makes no sense. It's absolutely illogical. <laughs> I can't stand this system. I think it's dumb, dumb, dumb. And and I, I feel bad. I think, you know, a, a good portion of it is, is honestly the Hall of Fame's fault. You know, I, the baseball writers have asked for changes, um, you know, in terms of you know being able to vote for more than 10. Um, in terms of having all of the ballots be public and things like that, it's been the Hall of Fame who stubbed them. But at the same time, I, I just think this system is is inherently broken. I'm interested to see what happens just again in the sense that it really felt like this was the year where I, I think baseball fandom kind of turned on the voting process, and it's really kind of the first time I think we saw that. Um, we you know also saw you know quite a few players tweeting about how you know this has just become illogical uh, on every level. And, and I wonder if we're going to actually see some, some substantive changes because I, I des- desperately think we need them. Well, it's totally different now than it was two years ago for Scott Rowland, Kevin, because two years ago he was a six-time All-Star. Now he's seven-time. That that changed in the 10 years since he retired from Major League Baseball. Well, I, and he's going to get a couple more home runs next season. I'm absolutely baffled by the way that some people take this process, but I digress. Uh, I did want to ask you about another topic that's really, really fun to talk about in baseball right now, Kevin, and that is the CBA negotiations. Uh, we did get actual negotiations this week, which is kind of nice to see what's been kind of your top line takeaway from what we've seen from some of the publicly available proposals so far this week. Uh, to be honest with you, I think everything's kind of gone as expected. I, I, I haven't been surprised at, at really anything yet. I, I don't think we were ever on any sort of path to a disaster. I still don't think we're on a path to a disaster. Uh, I, I still think we're probably going to see an agreement come Sometime around the end of February, early March, um, you're going to therefore get a late spring training that'll be compressed. You'll probably have a later than normal opening day and a compressed season. But I still think we're going to play like somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 to 154 games. And so you'll have a mostly full season. It won't be too overly damaging. And, you know, that's where I thought we were two months ago. And, and you know, nothing I've seen and, and nothing I've, I've heard um, either publicly or privately, has, has kind of moved the needle for me. If they don't play 162, though, Kevin, what do you think that does to some of the fans? Because we've seen this in other sports in the past. Like, if they take some games away, that's going to drive some fans away from the game. I, I think it's more likely if that happens during the summer when baseball is the only game in town. I think it's more likely if it, if it you know affects the end of the season and the playoffs. I think missing a week in April when it's snowing in Detroit, honestly, it's a huge deal. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's something that baseball can, can survive from just fine. We're talking to Kevin Goldstein, national writer of Red Fangrass, former assistant general manager with the Astros. Kevin, when things do open back up and there is the ability for teams to start talking to free agents once again, how do you expect that to go? We talked to Bob Nightingale yesterday. He said he thinks there's going to be a flurry of one-year deals because there's such a limited time frame in which these guys are going to be able to negotiate again. How do you expect that to go? Yeah, I, I was talking to someone uh, with a team yesterday about this exact subject, and uh, the word he used that, that really runs perfectly correct with me was chaos. I think it's going to be absolute chaos just in the sense that you know once they come to an agreement, uh, you know, I think teams would like two weeks, but they're probably only going to get seven to ten days before camp starts. So, you know, agreement to 
camp starting to play, you know, players reporting to their spring trading sites, it's probably going to be seven to 10 days. And so you are going to see just a crazy flurry of activity. I mean, that said, the, the crazy flurry of activity we saw right before the lockout was instituted by the owners showed that teams were actually spending more than what a lot of the projections said. And, and players were getting more years and more money than, than, than what the industry expected. So I don't think we're suddenly going to go in the reverse direction now that we have an agreement and you know, likely three years of guaranteed labor, let's just call it stability. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's going to go backwards like that. I think you're still going to see some guys get big deals. I was going to ask you if you feel like that that chaos in whatever time frame that will be, is that going to benefit more the owners or the players? I, I don't think it benefits either, really. I think it's kind of an even game. I, I, I you know, there are always, even in, in, in a quote-unquote normal offseason, there are always players who kind of fall through the cracks. But, like, I don't think there are going to be guys who you think are going to get $15 million suddenly looking for a one-time six. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think these guys are going to get paid and, I think the owners knowing that they have the overwhelming majority of a full year upcoming and then two years later don't have to worry about labor stuff are going to be willing to write checks. So I think it's going to be, uh, you know, in terms of, of the contracts themselves, it's going to be normal. It's just really the timetable that becomes really weird. If I was to have you play matchmaker on the radio for us, Kevin, is there anybody out there that you would just love to see within reason? Like this Cardinals team is not going to go out there and sign Carlos Correa as much as I would like them to. They're just not going to do that. Within reason, is there any player that you think fits what the Cardinals are needing right now that is still available out there on the open market? I think Carlos Correa would be a good sign. Let's go with him. Yeah, that (laughs) way, Kevin. I so wish you were right. Hey, you asked him to play matchmaker. He's Chuck Norris. This is Love Connection, and that's who I won. I mean, Carlos Gray is obviously the best free agent out there. Go get him. And and the Cardinals can afford it. Go do it. But what if they don't? (laughs) If I told you you've got, like, I don't know, less than $15 million on a per-year basis to spend, then how does that change the guy that you think they would go after or should go after maybe? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, when you when you have these kind of situations, every team has this situation where, you know, the owner tells you, this is how much money you got. And and when you have a number, let's just say it's $15 million, you know, the biggest debate there is, do we go get a guy? Do we go try to get a guy? You get some freaking player for $15 million. Or do we try to shore up our depth and sign three guys? And and I think that's going to be a, a question for the Cardinals. I, you know, would it make sense to sign a low-end starter and a couple relievers, or would it make sense to try to go find a, you know someone who's going to you know, kind of impact the the game results on a day-to-day basis and just bet on one? Um, and you know, I do think the Cardinals need a little more depth all around, and, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them kind of yeah, spread that kind of money around if that's where they end up. Would you bet on Nelson Cruz being able to do it again? Or do, at 41 years old, is this the year where it finally falls off for him? I would never bet against Nelson Cruz at this point. Like I've, I've done it too much in the past, and I've been wrong every time. It's just, but you're right. It's one of those things where, you know, it, it kind of reminds me, even though he's, you know, obviously nothing like these players, uh, you know, like Derek Jeter and Mario Rivera toward the end of their year with the Yankees, you're like, at some point they're going to fall off the, the cliff. At some point they're going to fall off the cliff, and then they'd be really good again. You're like, oh, they didn't fall off the cliff yet. And, and it's hard to know when that cliff is coming, um, you know, I do think Nelson Cruz can still uh, impact a lineup and also impact a clubhouse. Uh, and, and, you know, if I was a team looking 
for a nice one-year deal, he would be very high on my list. We'll get you out of here on this one, and thanks for the time as always, Kevin. Do you think the Cardinals need another starter? Everyone needs another starter. <laughs> you know, that, that's baseball. Like, there's, there's not a team in baseball sitting right now going, man, we're pretty happy one through five, and we don't need to upgrade anything. Like, every team needs another starter. The Cardinals are among them. I think if you just kind of lined them up as far as starter need, I think you would put the Cardinals maybe a little above average in terms of needing a starter. So, yeah, I do think they need another starter. And, uh, you know, the question is going to be, like, how how good they feel about, you know, a guy like maybe Matt Libertore and, and, and some of the prospects coming up, uh, kind of depending on them when the need arises. The need will most certainly arise. I think you're going to see another uh, weird year in terms of injuries. You're going to see teams using a lot of players. And, and, and when, you know, once again, I think depth is going to be, you know, play a really key role for a lot of teams as far as where they end up in the standings. He's Kevin Goldstein, national writer over at Fangrass, former assistant GM with the Astros. You should follow him on Twitter at Kevin underscore Goldstein. Kevin, we always appreciate the time, man. Thank you for hopping on with us today. All the best to you and yours. We'll talk with you again soon. Anytime. Thanks for having me.